We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. When it's time for a new credit card, the best ones do way more than just buy stuff. And that's why U.S. Bank offers credit cards that make every day more rewarding. Earn cash back. Score points when you shop, dine out, travel, or binge watch. Or get a low intro APR. U.S. Bank credit cards were designed to fit your lifestyle. So make every day more rewarding. And check out usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. Welcome to the Rotowire Fantasy Football Podcast. Derek Van Riper here with Tim Heaney back in the saddle after a one week uh, workcation. It was a work trip last Friday that kept me away. First pitch, Arizona. Already getting ready for the 2017 baseball season, which, you know, a, a portion of the people listening to this podcast are excited about. Most of you are just here for football and, and football only, and I can completely understand that. But, uh, Tim, I got to ask, how's it going today? What's, what's going on? You were gone last week, too, with. Uh, some like re-networking stuff that was going on. Yeah, I had to kind of re uh, refurbish the house, internet connections and stuff like that a little bit. So, uh, you know, uh, you know, we all need a little bit of a refresh once in a while, and this is much needed for this house. So, uh, definitely needed an upgrade. And I, I think I sound pretty good today compared to the tin can uh, noise that you were hearing uh, last week. I think. Yeah, you're getting a much better connection <laughs> now, so it seems to have worked. Uh, we've got. A Thursday night game to look at very briefly. We'll get to that in probably five to ten minutes or so. So if you if you want to get right to the football, just skip ahead a bit. You'll you'll find it. Uh, we got some injury information, quite a bit of injury information actually. It's week ten after all, so the entire league seems to be hurt. Uh, we're going to take a look at the Washington backfield, and we'll talk a look uh, take a look at some players we like on DraftKings for this week as well. So tons of ground to cover with our Friday episode for week ten. Uh, any trip I take though tim and i think you might be in the exact same boat it's defined by uh well the company and then also the quality of the food and drink that i have throughout the trip right and i think in arizona for first pitch it checks all the boxes uh you know saris for, for a long time has always brought great beer along on the trip we brought some stuff uh the madison guys here in, in, in rotowire we, we packed up a, a suitcase full of beer Brought that down as well. So we brought in some some Midwest things, some Toppling Goliath, some uh, some pseudo Sioux from Toppling Goliath, some Surly beers, uh, some Milwaukee Brewing Company stuff. There was a request for Spotted Cow. I indulged people. I brought it. I, I think it's fine. It's a good beer. People get really fanatical about it because they can't get it 
outside of Wisconsin, uh, but checked a lot of different boxes off as far as stuff that I was able to try. And I think the best beer I had while I was gone, not an Arizona beer, but a Kansas City beer that I had not previously had uh, from Boulevard Brewing Company in Kansas City. They have a Belgian quad that is bourbon barrel aged. And I've been looking for one of those for a while. Central Waters here in Wisconsin made one. It sold out before I could get my hands on any of it. And this stuff was fantastic. It was the best beer I've had in a long time. Yeah, I, I've had some good stuff from Boulevard Brewery for sure. Um, you know, Eno is always really uh, on point with that stuff. He even has a blog with, called Beer Graphs as opposed to Rotographs and Fangraphs. So he's kind of moderately serious about that topic, I think. He does a pretty good job. Uh, I did miss being out there this year. Um, I usually try to sneak at least a couple bombers into my uh, my checked baggage a little bit, uh, whatever dep- doesn't weigh it down. Uh, you know, but story about Eno, he always has like 50-pound limit, you know, surcharges on his bags or you know he always tries to kind of circumvent that bar maybe in like three bags or anything did you uh i think we talked about this you didn't end up bringing multiple bags or how'd you work with that uh one bag and the answer was to pay to check it on a different airline that uh james anderson was flying so he took the bag paid the 40 Uh or 50 bucks to check it because yeah southwest for those who fly beer places uh has a limit of five liters of alcohol so it doesn't matter if it's bottle of whiskey, whatever it is. Five liters isn't that much if you're packing several cans or bottles of beer. So keep that in mind. I mean, it's free to check two bags on Southwest. So you can get, uh, I, think, I, don't know if, I don't know if you can go five liters per bag. That might be stretching it, but it's at least something to be mindful of uh, if you're going to go down that road. But always good to, to try different stuff uh, from different parts of the country. And yeah, you know, I don't know how he does it. I don't know how, how he always has so much beer readily available for those trips i kudos to him for <laughs> constantly uh, digging around and finding good stuff but the other good stuff i tried one from arizona uh, is from mother road in oh. i think it's flagstaff yes they, mm-hmm. that's a good brewer had a black ipa last year that was good their regular ipa it's an american ipa tower station uh, is really good so i would recommend that if you get a chance to go you go to anywhere in arizona and you see Mother Road stuff on draft. I, I haven't had one that's disappointed me yet, so definitely uh, keep an eye out for that. Uh, the other one I had, Cigar City Maduro. I can't mm. remember if I've had it before. That was really good. That was like a 3 a.m. beer one night. It was. Uh, <laughs> I was. I was kind of in a like a poker coma of sorts, just just watching mm. the last few hands go down and just having a Maduro and just kind of dwelling on on life. It was it was quite the experience. Maduro's a great night closing beer. Um, it's not like heavy that it definitely puts you to sleep, but it's definitely like a good reflection of of the day's activities to have that. It's a very very nice brown. I, I I'm a big fan of them and Cigar City, whatever they do. I mean, they there's obviously so much Cigar City because we have a lot of Florida people that usually go to those things, so it's never in short supply, which is always nice. Yeah, a couple other good ones I had. Uh, Eno brought some stuff from Fieldwork in Berkeley, California. Uh, Overripe was the IPA that he brought. That was I thought really good as well. Uh, I would highly recommend that if you can get your hands on it. And then there was one from uh, from the East Coast. I think it was from Boston. Santilli was brought in. Uh, Everett from Everett, Massachusetts. Uh, Night Shift Brewing. It's uh, I believe their IPA. That was mm-hmm. also a very good IPA. Had some Night Shift before. I don't think I've ever had that one, but Night Shift is it's it's a pretty good one. It's it's definitely up and coming. Yeah. So, what did you have this weekend? Anything? Anything good make its way uh, in, into your fridge? Well, uh, I in- introduced the girlfriend. It's a big step in any relationship to bring him to one of your favorite beer bars. You know, that's a that, that's a big deal. So, I think she earned going to a Belgian beer cafe in uh, on Madison Avenue, New York City. Um, you know, I'm a big Belgian guy, as we've talked about in the show, and obviously you'd be interested. That's just, you know, so many good um, Belgian quads and stuff like that. I had a one of my favorites. It's a Golden Drock. It's a I believe it's a dark Trappel. It's a uh, you know literally means um, golden dragon in Dutch. Mm-hmm. Uh, very cool glasses with a dragon on 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 there. It's pretty sweet logo. And uh, Rochefort Ten actually one of my favorite beers of all time. It's a I believe that's a quad. Um, let me double check. Uh, yeah, it's a quad style beer. Um, you know, beer advocate rate beer usually pretty high. And it's usually you know four or five, four point five out of five or higher, or somewhere around the nineties and that sort of thing. So beer I've always had in Boston. I used to, you know I used to love getting that near the near Boston University and. Uh, one that you know, I just I can't pass up wherever I go. It's pretty expensive for like a you know a twelve ounce ish bottle. You know, it's like ten or twelve dollars, but you know the, the quads are usually that good, and it's worth every drop because it can you know it can get you a nice little buzz going for for a couple of hours at least. Yeah, I, uh, I highly recommend all all the the Belgian quads I come across. They, they tend to be 
outstanding. Uh, so not a surprise at all there. I've had the Rockford before. Like that one, that one is one I seek out, even though I've had it. You know, I, I will make a point to go get it every once in a while if it's been a couple months since I've had a bottle. Uh, a couple other like honorable mentions, stuff that I had that I don't know if I would necessarily recommend it, but I, I didn't hate it. Uh, the Hop Freak Double IPA from Milwaukee Brewing Company. I think they brew it with some tea. It's got a very, um, almost like a malty sweet flavor, even though it's a, a double IPA. So it's a really unusual double IPA, something to, to consider at least if you like something different. Uh, Moon Juice from Santan, that is an Arizona beer. It's an IPA as well. I thought it tasted like squirt, like the, the soda. Like I, just, I, thought, I didn't think it had that much of, a, of an alcohol flavor at all. didn't have like that bitterness really either. I thought that was pretty good. And then I had uh, Barclays Peanut Butter Cup Porter from Uncle Bear's Brewery in uh, Phoenix, and that was that was pretty good too. Actually, it was very it was very peanut buttery as you'd expect uh, from the <laughs> name. But let's just say it wasn't subtle peanut butter flavor. It was very uh, very direct. Yeah, um, my favorite peanut butter flavored beer. It's peanut butter and chocolate. It's uh, you ever have Duke Claw? I believe it's Pennsylvania out here. Uh, it's called Sweet Baby Jesus. Uh, pretty pretty good name to describe the reaction when you first take a sip of it. It's really really like a peanut butter cup. So I'm I'm with you on that trend. I have not had the Duclaw yet, so I'll have to keep that on uh, on the list for possible tries as uh, as the time comes. What I've got right now, uh, speaking of beers with with Jesus in the name, uh, Evil Twin, even more Jesus. I've got some of that mm-hmm. sitting in my uh, pantry right now. So looking Evil forward Twi- to getting yeah. some of that going. Evil Twin, solid. I'll, I'll vouch for that. So yeah. I, that'll be that'll be a nice uh, treat at some point either this week. That's weekend Brooklyn. That's or Brooklyn next. too. Is, yep. the, is the biscotti one any good? The the, the double <laughs> imperial. I, I haven't had that one. I just know. I just know. You know, Evil Twin. I've had a couple of good ones. It's in Brooklyn. I've been there a little bit. So uh, definitely a, a good one to go with. It pulls like a four, almost a four point two on Untapped. So it must be mm-hmm. must be all right. Uh, so all right, there you go. There's there's your your beer recap, your beer forecaster for the upcoming weekend. <laughs> if you need to fill up the fridge in week ten. A whole assortment of different things, depending on where you might live uh, in the country. should have plenty of options available. Uh, let's get on to the Thursday night game. Color Rush continues. Uh, the Ravens taking down the Browns 28-7. to uh, We saw two Browns quarterbacks play in this one. Yay, and really nothing at all on the Cleveland side of the ball to get excited about. Like, absolutely nothing at all. Uh, with the touchdown being scored by Seth DeValve didn't really do much for me. That did not help, no. <laughs> um, obviously, you know, the, the quarterback carousel continues. When, when even the ground game's not doing much with Isaiah Correll being somewhat of a fantasy asset most of the year, that, that's a really bad sign. You figure the Ravens' defense isn't that good to, to really, you know, squash them, but then you realize it is the Browns. And I'm still very surprised, you know, well, I guess they did this purposely. They didn't go with the color brown for the color rush. That would have been too uh, on point, I guess. That would have been a lot of brown. <laughs> and it, it, I'm, I'm, yeah, I mean, it, they were the, the road team, so I guess that was a factor. Mm-hmm. But yeah, a, a home game for Cleveland on a Thursday night, we may not be that far away. Maybe next year we'll get a chance to see the all-brown color rush. Uh, 0-10 now are the Browns. Uh, bye week still coming up. I want to say week 13. They're with the Titans as far as having that late, late bye week but the Ravens now at five and four they're in the mix for a playoff spot I was surprised to see Terrence West only average 3.1 yards per carry uh, there was a point a few weeks back looked like maybe he'd figured some things out now you got a healthy Kenneth Dixon Dixon had six carries for 38 yards uh, over six yards a pop also caught five passes for 42 yards on seven targets seemingly uh, good enough in pass protection to get on the field a lot this backfield to me still seems like it has a, a high probability of changing between now and the fantasy playoffs. And if you're out there in a league like a 10-teamer where Kenneth Dixon's out there, I think Dixon is a must-add right now wherever you can. And I think he's actually the type of running back you might want to trade for right now if the team that has him has a viable option sitting in front of him. Yeah, I fully agree. I mean, Terrence West got 21 carries in this game, but that was mostly just because, you know, the second half got out of hand and they just kind of let him kind of roll away with it because nothing was to be gained from giving it to really anybody else. And yeah, Dixon's obviously the more exciting option here. Uh, the, the, the system seems to be failing West, the offensive line, obviously not the, you know, not the best going in football, but one that you can get a good competent back to get some better yards on the inside with. And I think Dixon will get there eventually. Six carries, 38 yards. You know, that's a pretty good average, obviously. And Obviously, the better playmaker in the passing game, as you said. So, yeah, Dixon's the one I, I would back up going forward. West has kind of lost his chance, I think, right now. Yeah, I think it's only a matter of time, whether it takes three more weeks for it to completely flip or it starts happening right away next week. I think it's on the horizon. Steve Smith, 
uh, just continues to produce against all odds. Five for 60 and a score in this one. A Darren Waller TD along with a Brashad Perriman touchdown for the Ravens. Uh, Flacco finding uh, the end zone three times. 296 yards. I mean, making his layup against the Browns, essentially. And <laughs> it's been a really disappointing year for Flacco overall, but he may finally be getting close to 100% health after suffering a torn ACL last season. Yeah, I think that, you know, obviously the. You did see him not being fully comfortable the entire night. He did still throw two picks, obviously. A little bit of pressure from the Browns, which, you know, really shouldn't happen in most cases. But obviously rallying in the, in the second half, they did push downfield a lot more, you notice. And, you know, the Browns obviously are going to wilt after a while if you keep doing that to them. I think having Brashard Perriman having a bigger role is a big deal, too, to, to kind of add more depth to the passing game. Obviously, they kind of rotate through the tight ends as well already, which kind of makes Dennis Pitt a kind of, you know, not a great fantasy play unless it's a really deep PPR league. So, it, you know, Smith, Wallace, and Perriman all being on the field at the same time or being active at the same time that's really good for Flacco I think the more matchups he'll take advantage of going up down the stretch maybe definitely more credence as a bi-week play with with all those guys in there I thought Mike Wallace would be the guy that could put a nice game together in this matchup only five targets on a day where Joe Flacco threw it 41 times that was a little bit surprising Uh, that's just the downside with Wallace though even when he's playing well he tends to be more of a feast or famine type player yeah, you would think. I mean, I saw him run more routes when he was with the Dolphins, and that kind of rounded out his game. He scored, I believe, what ten touchdowns that year. He's, but I think he's, you know, more optimally used in this offense as a guy that just kind of does all or nothing. And they're going to give him the ball maybe in short space, and maybe he can do something after the catch. But you know, still very much a guy they're going to challenge downfield more so than anything. Even though I think Perriman might be eclipsing him in that ability right now, despite you know Wallace's speed. Yeah, are you buying into Perriman as someone that could take on a larger role down the stretch and, like Dixon, perhaps emerge to be much more valuable going forward than he has been up to this point? Yeah, I I mean, I'd be more confident if I had to use him as a third wide receiver on a bye week. I'm not really looking forward to it all the time, but, you know, the, the very exciting player, obviously. There's, a you know, the big game ability. It's I think that's what he brings, obviously, to any league. In non-PPR leagues, I'd be more willing to try it out because he can kind of break off for that big game. He had a nice little, obviously, touchdown catch in the, the jumping ball in the end zone. But, you know, in a PPR league, I think he's kind of going to kind of fall uh, by the wayside a little bit more because his involvement isn't that big yet. And I, th- I think it's going to be a case where he'll, you know, not going to be as consistent in catching the ball. I, I believe he did have a big drop across the middle last night, so that might work against him a little bit. Yeah, that's, that's one of those things, too, where he, you see this team being one that, They'll spread it around, and they're not going to have a lot of weeks where they're throwing it 40-plus times. The defense is better than people expected coming into the season. I think with that, they're going to play generally more lower-scoring, close games where it's a very balanced sort of offensive attack, and that, I think, limits the target ceiling for players like Wallace, Perriman, uh, and Smith. And especially if everyone's healthy, that's what complicates things uh, even further for the Baltimore passing game. If you love to play fantasy football and think you know more than the rest of the sports world about it, we have a website for you. Put that fantasy knowledge to the test on Fan Clash Trivia, the number one sports trivia site for cash and prizes. Rotowire has teamed up with FanClash.com to bring you NFL Week 10 trivia with cash on the line. Rotowire will be running a contest on Fan Clash against Rotowire expert and co-founder Jeff Erickson on November 15th. The entry fee is $5. Reserve your spot now, and you will compete with Rotowire's own Jeff Erickson to see who really knows the most about NFL trivia from all of Week 10's action. Go to fanclash.com slash rotowire to sign up now. All right, Tim, we've got a slew of injuries to get through. Uh, Many of them seem pretty important. We're going to start with the Rams. Todd Gurley has been slowed uh, by a a thigh injury, not a hamstring injury necessarily. They haven't really specified if it's a quad or a hamstring. They're just saying thigh. Uh, It seems like he's going to play, but at the same time, I just wonder if this has been part of the problem for him all season long. Like if, if this is the main reason why he's fallen from a 4.8 yards per carry mark as a rookie last year to 3.1 yards per carry this season. I mean, Todd Gurley in 146 attempts this year does not have a 20 yard carry. Yeah, that, that, that boggled my mind when I looked it up yesterday. I kind of did like a double take, but it makes sense the way he's been kind of running into the line this year. I mean, maybe you're right because, you know, Counted out a lot, a lot on his explosiveness last year. He, you know, he was kind of one of those players that would go like a lot of three-yard carries and then break off a sixty-yarder to kind of maybe you know make up for what he didn't do earlier in the game and make him have a nice line at the end of things and make it look like he had a great game overall. You know, he's a very obviously explosive player. Maybe 
And not having leg drive is going to take a lot away from someone's explosiveness, and maybe it's kind of manifesting itself at this point. Uh, you know, it, here's the thing: it's it's kind of you look at a schedule, you're like, oh, I definitely want to trade for what's left to come on that schedule. It looks pretty good, but you know, is this a thing where it's going to be chronic like this every week, and maybe not allow him to get that, you know, get those big gains that 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 you know really define his value? But at least he's getting more pass catches when he's actually active, so that's that's a good thing in a PPR league. Yeah, Gurley, for what it's worth, fully practiced on Friday after missing when. Wednesday and Thursday. He's listed as questionable. It looks like there's a very good chance he will play uh, in that early game against the Jets. Uh, Jimmy Graham, part of the Sunday night game against the Patriots, limited in practice through Thursday. I think he's going to be fine, but the, the bigger question is, can Belichick and Matt Patricia uh, scheme in a way where they take Jimmy Graham away? Oftentimes, this is what the Patriots are able to do. They take away the most dangerous pass-catching option on the opposing team's offense, and then it's the second and third guys that have to pick up the extra slack. Yeah, I, I think that makes sense. I, I think that Graham's the one that does kind of push the Seahawks over the Patriots in terms of matchups. I mean, the, the Patriots cornerbacks are pretty uh, versatile. They can follow. They can you know do a lot and, and do some good man press coverage. So I, I think that's a case where I think they'll bracket Graham more than anybody else and maybe give things to Doug Baldwin, give things to maybe keep Tyler Lockett in front of them as well or – yeah, I think Graham would be the key to shutting down Russell Wilson because obviously, you know, Graham looks healthy after the the, the, knee, the knee procedure last year that people were scared of, including myself. Um, yeah, I, I think Graham is the one that they have to kind of snuff out and let the rest kind of just happen with Russell Wilson there. Yeah, I think Baldwin could uh, really pick up extra targets if Graham is the guy that the Patriots really are focused on. It just seems like that's the most likely uh, outcome there. Doug Martin. He's had a hamstring injury. He's had setbacks trying to make it back. He had three limited practices this week and will be a game-time decision to play uh, against the Bears on Sunday. Even if he's in, do you trust him? Do you expect him to take more than 8 to 10 carries in his first game back given how long it took him to come back from this injury? I'm sick of analyzing the Bucks' backfield. I, I'm, I'm betting you are as well. Very tight, <laughs> um, yes. Yeah. Uh, if, if you need a flex player, I, I'd, I'd throw him in. Uh, not necessarily confidently. I mean, the Bears obviously not a you know not a steady matchup against running backs. Um, you know, Martin's had a long time to recover. May, you want to think maybe they've just been a little more cautious with him, but um, they really don't have anybody else, especially with Jacquez Rogers also out. You know, maybe that kind of pushes Martin to play a bit more. As if you if you make sure just keep him as like you know a flex type of guy, um, make sure you keep him as a flex type of guy, and then you know that that's the highest I'd be willing to go with him. I think. Yeah, I don't think I want to do much more than that as far as my expectations go. It stinks if you're trying to rely on like a Peyton Barber type player though, and then you see Martin active because it just gives you even less confidence about Barber having a. a reasonable number of carries. I mean, Barber's an in-season pickup that I've actually been in a position to have to lean on for a couple of matchups. Now it's a rough spot to be in, but I think a very common one uh, this fantasy football season. Uh, DeMarco Murray should be okay. He's been dealing with a toe injury, but he practiced again on Friday. The bigger concern is that Derek Henry uh, is slowed by a calf injury, but he also, I believe, was back on the practice field in at least a limited capacity on Friday. So it looks like Murray and Henry will be out there in tandem going up against Green Bay's run defense. The Packers, I believe, yards per carry-wise still are the uh, most stingy run defense in the league. But Murray, to me, seems pretty much matchup-proof at this point, Tim. 4.6 yards per carry, right in line with the 4.7 we saw him average in Dallas in 2014. The only real difference is we're not seeing as many explosive plays. 15 carries of 20 or more yards back in 2014, just three in 174 attempts for DeMarco Murray through nine games with the Titans. Yeah, it's definitely been a little more gradual with that sort of sense. And obviously his his receiving is is where he's really picking up most of his value at this point. He has 35 catches already this year. He had 57 in all of 2014. So I think he's, you know, obviously on pace to, you know, get upwards of, you know, more than that. And that's, that's where his values really come from. Obviously the Titans do run a good, uh, you know, they have a good ground attack with Marcus Mariota there. And, and the, the offensive line has improved a bit this year. But obviously it's definitely more of a, you know, get him some work through the air to try to move the ball like he would you know, in a running play sort of thing. So just the touches is where Murray's real value lies. And there's, there's few running backs that match that every week. Yeah, Travis Benjamin slowed by a knee injury. He's listed as doubtful. I don't think he's playing at all. They get the bye coming up in week 11. On top of that, Benjamin played seven snaps. He had one catch for five yards against Tennessee in week nine. So for me, it seems like there's a maybe a 1% chance that he's actually active and then having a meaningful role 
for the Chargers against the Dolphins this week? Yeah, I I think they'd be comfortable just to kind of let it go uh, at this point. Maybe maybe if Tyra Williams does play, that'll be enough for them. They can they've they've been having to deal with spare parts and and people being promoted through injury all year. I think they would be comfortable doing that before the bye, just so they don't risk him as well. I mean, Dontrell Inman looks like a really 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 good fantasy play this week, even if Benjamin were to play, which is obviously not looking good. Yeah, Inman sneaky both in. Uh, even half-point and full-point PPR season-long leagues, but also in DFS as well. Price will be very low on Inman across the board this week. Uh, Jarvis Landry has been slowed by a shoulder injury. He didn't practice on Thursday. I have not seen a report from the Dolphins just yet on Landry. I I think he was limited today, according to Chris Perkins, covers the Dolphins beat. I think he's going to play. I mean, I, I just don't know how much I trust them currently anyway. L- looking at the way he's been used these last few games, 5 for 78 on 8 targets against Buffalo, 3 for 33 on 6 targets, and what should have been a good spot against the Jets. I mean, I, I just I don't really know what to make of Jarvis Landry right now. No, I mean, Miami going back to, you know, run, then then pass off the run. Obviously, J.H.I., he's been a monster. Uh, those those runs that he can now make that they really had struggle trouble making last year, those are all Jarvis Landry catch opportunities to get good PPR points, and now they don't need him for that sort of thing anymore, it seems like. And obviously, Kenny Stills is still kind of hanging around as, as a guy that they use, and Devontae Parker is more of an all-or-nothing type of guy. And, you know, Damien Williams actually is not a not a bad running back in the system either in that passing game. So, And obviously, Ryan Tannehill's flaws really, uh, you know, limit the, the ceiling of, of at least season-long for all the wide receiver guys. So, yeah, the Miami offense is a jai, and kind of good luck everywhere else right now. It's weird that Devontae Parker, I'm glad you mentioned his name. I mean, go back to week two, week three, eight for 106 against the Patriots on 13 targets in week two, three for 51 on a TD on six targets against the Browns in week three. If you had him in those first two weeks that he played, you're thinking, oh, this is great. Devontae Parker is going to be the player I expected since week four against Cincinnati's target volume by week three, three, seven, four, four catches follow the same pattern, two, two, five, three, and two. He's had more than 28 receiving yards once in his last five games. No touchdowns during that span. I, I know part of that's just the overall struggles of Ryan Tannehill uh, this season, but Devontae Parker has been one of the bigger early-round busts at the wide receiver position this season. Yeah, I mean, I liked him. The price, I think, was banking a little bit too much on a breakthrough immediately. Obviously, you figure this guy in his second year, with the way he finished last season, that he would have made steps forward but I think that he's probably having a little bit trouble with you know press coverage and you know to get, get maybe getting thrown off his routes a bit easier and yeah I think it probably has to round out his game a little more at, at this point in his career to really be a weekly fantasy factor obviously a great dynasty guy I, I traded for him in a dynasty league I traded Carson Wentz for him actually and I think I still made out pretty well just for the long-term uh, impact of that but you know definitely a, a, a guy to wait out again maybe you wait for the second half this year uh, got, he faces the Jets and the Bills in weeks 15 and 16. Maybe those are the weeks he really kind of shines again. But, yeah, definitely a guy you stash for now, but you really don't want to have to play him. Uh, Spencer Ware coming back from a concussion, so that pushes Charkandrick West back into a reserve role. Uh, what's your expectation for Spencer Ware going up against the Carolina defense? Um, you know, Carolina hasn't um, been, you know, the, the, the defensive stalwart that many have given them the reputation to be, but, you know, the run game this year, the run defense this year has been, you know, kind of erratic depending on what type of attack they face. I think the Chiefs, especially getting Alex Smith back, are going to be good enough and and balanced enough to really kind of get back uh, into that mold of actually being a decent threat on the ground. And obviously where, when he's active, he's been kind of hogging the touches anyway, even, you know, with all the Jamal Charles injury um, absences he's had, he's kind of stepped up immediately. I think they'll be happy to see him in there, especially the way the Chiefs running game really kind of didn't do as much last week. Yeah, that's that's the weird thing. I just I expected the Chiefs to not necessarily go without missing a beat in the absence of Ware. I just thought we'd see Sharkandrick West uh, pile up similar volume, and it just didn't really happen. Uh, let's move on to Jeremy Macklin, who has been ruled out with a groin injury. I know Travis Kelsey will pick up some extra targets, but who else benefits in the absence of Macklin, who has been actually a, a disappointment for me as what I thought would be a, a very safe wide receiver three in the Stopa Law Firm auction. I, I was really happy coming out of that auction with Macklin, I think at 15 bucks as a number three, and it's been more bad than good so far. Yeah, I mean, I think Col- Chris Conley and Albert Wilson obviously are going to probably going to be the starters on the outside wide receiver spots against the really shaky Carolina defense 
But I would love to see Tyreek Hill get so many more targets. That guy's just so exciting to watch. I would love it if he were the one to really get more confidence to, to break a play loose this week. That guy, that guy's a little bit of a sleeper in my mind this week. Let's move on to Deshaun Jackson. He is out with a shoulder injury. I've seen rotator cuff uh, mentioned as a uh, one possible problem for him. I, I don't really know what I expect from Deshaun Jackson if he gets back in the coming weeks. No, I mean, it's obviously more of a Feast of Famine player this year because he's just not a guy that Kirk Cousins really targets that affectionately. Obviously, it's Jordan Reed in the passing game, and then kind of everyone else picks up the scraps. Although, Jameson Crowder had some nice flashes recently. I think that's a guy that will benefit more from DJX being out. I mean, Garcon is, Pierre Garcon is obviously just kind of a guy that is going to get like seven or eight targets, catch five of them, not really do much with what he does catch. You know, Crowder's a guy that they can really send downfield a bit more effectively, even though, you know, people might have the the um the, the impact that he is just a, a, a you know ten yard you know per catch guy, but I've seen him break off a few plays after the catch at least that he can really be dangerous if given more opportunities. Uh, bad news if you're trying to stream the stream the Rams defense. So Ryan Fitzpatrick has a knee injury. He is a game time decision, so potentially bad news. I mean, that's usually a good target if you're looking for a DFS defense to throw out there, a season long defense to stream. Uh, we'll see if Fitzpatrick gets the green light. If he doesn't. I think it's still a pretty appealing defense uh, to to use the Rams in this case because the Jets' quarterback situation is bad. There there is no strength in numbers on the depth chart for the Jets. Oh, absolutely, and, and their offensive line is not really good in pass protection either. And I think that's contributed a lot to a lot of Fitzpatrick's struggles this season. So you know you're getting a crazy matchup of you know of guys like um, you know Aaron Donald and, and and Robert Quinn going up against those really really bad tackles on the Jets' line. I'm, I'm all for that Rams defense any day with that. Tevin Coleman's got a hamstring injury. He remains out for the Falcons. We should see a lot more Devontae Freeman again this week, and that could actually be a great source of value based on where he's priced at on, on DraftKings and on FanDuel uh, for that matter. So I think the the appeal of Freeman with Tevin Coleman out of the picture, it just goes up. I mean, it's, it's, it's top five, top seven running back uh, status, I think, for Devontae Freeman in Coleman's absence. Yeah, definitely workload-wise. I mean, I think some people might argue that the Eagles have a bit of a quicker defense, so that might not, you know, that might not be great for Freeman as they'll be able to keep up with him, maybe snuff him out on the edges a bit more. But I'm, I'm with you. I think Freeman is priced definitely not um, as advantageously as he should. You know, sorry, he's still overpriced, underpriced a bit because they haven't really caught up to the fact that, you know, Coleman being out has really, you know, at least helped his workload. So I don't think Tyron Ward's going to steal that much this time around. Yeah, I'll, I'll go Freeman at the price that he's at. Ladarius Green, if you remember him, uh, has an ankle injury still, but he's trending towards a return in the near future. If you're scuffling at tight end, Tim, is Ladarius Green the type of player you'd pick up, stash away, not necessarily start even if he's active this week, but put him on the bench with the hope that he could be a solution if you don't currently have a top eight tight end on your roster? Yeah, I, I'm stashing him in a keeper league right now. Luckily, we have IR spots, which is you know not always the case in every league. Uh, and obviously, with the big buys in recent weeks, it might be difficult that you can stash someone. But yeah, I, I think there's a lot of upside there. We haven't obviously seen what he can do yet at all, but I think this is a great offense where he can take advantage. I think Jesse James did a serviceable job of being you know 75, 80 percent of what Green could offer. But you know, Green's the guy that you know his athleticism, his ability to, to line up you know all around the line of scrimmage. I think that would really help him. An Eric Ebron type of situation, maybe offensively. I think that's a guy that I would like to see what the upside brings for later on in the year no limitations for randall cobb this week sunday against tennessee is according to head coach mike mccarthy who lives life with a lot of limitations himself but hey mm-hmm. as long as cobb's completely healthy that's good news for randall cobb owners uh, two defensive players that are out this week Akib Talib and desmond trufant could uh, significantly change the way you look at those matchups from an individual standpoint we'll start with Talib as the broncos go on the road to face the Saints. Saints were favored in that game. Over-under is actually pretty high. Without Tlaib, do you actually have the confidence to start Brandon Cooks this week? Well, yeah, I think so. Obviously, knocking knocking the depth chart like that is always a good sign. And obviously, Cooks doesn't always line up on the outside of the side. He kind of moves around a bit. You know, if he gets on Bradley Roby, the the, the, the weak link of that uh, that, that secondary, I, I think that Cooks can bring off a big play. Obviously, Michael Thomas and Willie need to kind of move around a bit too. But I think Thomas is the most stationary on the outside, if I'm not mistaken. So he might actually have a little bit of trouble against those corners. Yeah, he might see a little bit of Chris Harris, and I think that's that's what makes Willie Sneed sort of appealing to me too. Uh, we'll talk about him, I think, when we're talking about some players we like on DraftKings. Uh, as far as Desmond Trufant goes, I mean, that is probably going to lead to a pretty nice upgrade. Uh, Atlanta this week taking on the Eagles. It bodes well for Jordan Matthews. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I like I already like Matthews against the secondary that was struggling even without Trufant. 
um, and with and with Trufant in the lineup. So, you know, Nelson Aguilar and Doriel Green-Beckham kind of cancel each other out when it comes to snaps. So I think Matthews obviously matching up in the slot, I think, will be a, a pretty good revelation this week. He'll finally get 100 yards, I think, for the first time since week one. It's pretty crazy. I think he'll uh, he's due for a big week. Got a question on Twitter from Ricky Wallace. Has he ended up trading Jay Ajayi, Rashard Matthews, and Rob Kelly for A.J. Green, Lamar Miller, and Phillip Rivers? He said, what do you think? It's like, how is that even possible? <laughs> I want to play in that league. That's awesome. <laughs> I, I just, I'm, I'm amazed that that was able to happen. Ajayi is a nice player, no, no question at all. But if you're drafting today, A.J. Green and Ajayi would be, at, at the worst, similar in price, but most likely AJ Green even goes half a round ahead of Jai, maybe even 10, 12 picks. Uh, Richard Matthews, just a guy. Kelly, yeah, he's a starter for now, but he's not locked in. I know Lamar Miller's been banged up. He's got the shoulder injury, but I mean, Lamar Miller over Matthews and Kelly all day, and then to get Rivers in there too, that, that's, that is, that's just pure theft. That's beautiful. And obviously, a lot of recency bias going along with that. Obviously, Ajay, like you said, deserving praise. But Robert Kelly being named the starter today in a backfield that's probably going to still rotate a lot. Starter doesn't necessarily mean I'm getting 15 to 20 touches this game. Starter just means you're going to be out there to start the game. And who knows what happens after that based on situation. I love that people kind of assume that starter always means, oh, he'll get the most touches. That, that's, ne- that's not always the case. No, definitely isn't. There was a point earlier this year when Jay Ajayi was the starter and it didn't matter in the Miami backfield. I think you remember, I want to say week three, week four, Mm-hmm. He started, it was just four different guys carrying the ball. Like, what, what was Adam Gaze doing? What was that entire coaching <laughs> staff doing at that time? Which, if you're a Dolphins fan, you got to be like, hey, what's the deal? Why, why don't we have this guy playing more earlier in the year? I know they had a, a rift, and that was what caused the Jai to stay behind in week one when the Dolphins went to Seattle. But come on, like, what, what are you thinking as a coaching staff? I'm surprised because Gates is such a good offensive mind usually. Um, or maybe it was just maybe Peyton Manning just really masked his, his, uh, his success, you know, masked uh, the errors that he would make. So I don't know. Maybe loyalty to Aaron Foster. Either way, pretty, pretty, pretty bad decision there. But yeah, we kind of mentioned Rob Kelly in passing. I mean, he's the starter as it is right now. Matt Jones, uh, not of the injury report this week. I think it's Kelly and Thompson working in tandem until Kelly gives Jay Gruden a reason to make an adjustment. I think so. Uh, Jones has had so many chances. He's kind of, you know, another one that's kind of just wasted his chance like Terrence West did, even though, you know, both these guys have had good games this year. And maybe it's just kind of it's good. That I think Kelly, I don't want to say he's a, he's a much better back, but I think he does hit the interior a lot better than Jones does. He has a little bit better first read instinct in my in my eyes so far. Thompson is the more more intriguing, I think, overall, especially in PPR, because that guy can, you know, make pretty good plays in space and you know with Deshaun Jackson hurt that passing game is going to need a little bit more stability and you know Thompson's a guy that I think does a little bit more for me in PPR even though I I don't mind Kelly I just think he's more of a, you know a weekly flex guy actually both of them are flex but Thompson has a game flow uh, in his favor that he could be a, a second running back in PPR a uh, quick public service announcement if you would like to uh, tweet at us I'm at Derek Van Riper he's at Tim underscore Heaney you can send us your beer recommendations and reviews you can send us questions we'll try to Pick those apart as we move through the final half of the fantasy football season. I got a tweet from Derek, not from myself. It says, <laughs> "You don't tweet you, yourself." I, I don't. I, I sometimes <laughs> do. I just don't tweet myself with questions that are meant for me. If that, like, I'll retweet myself with a question, trying to like put more content together to frame a question. But no, I don't. I don't have conversations directly with myself through Twitter. Not yet. At some point, I'm sure uh, it'll come to that. Rest of the season, would you rather have the Denver defense or the Seattle defense? Uh, uh, I look at the schedule for that one. I, there, I, I kind of don't really – I I'm, I really don't know how both are available for one. He must have drafted both, right? Yeah, he's, he must have both. Somebody probably dropped Seattle at the bye week or, or something like that. Uh, I don't know, man. Uh, let me look at the schedule for a second. You, you can give an opinion if you want. Yeah, I, I, I'm inclined <laughs> to just say Denver. I, I think Denver's defense remains elite. Seattle's is just one notch below that. I mean, Cam Chancellor coming back, didn't mention him during the injury segment. That's what makes the Seattle defense kind of close to elite or elite. Without him, they're just not quite the same team in the secondary. I mean, look what the Bills were doing to the Seattle defense on Monday night. Mm. 
That's true. I mean, you, you, you have been finding a little bit more holes in the Legion of Boom. Maybe they're getting a little older or something, and the pass rush doesn't seem to be as good. You know, I, I guess in that vein, I do usually trust the pass rush first and anything in a defense because I think you do kind of build outward from there. At least smart teams do. And I think, uh, you know, I'll go with you and say Denver on that one. All right, so Denver it is for Derek. And uh, the other question he asked, would you rather have Hyde and Dewan Harris or Ty Montgomery and James Starks for the rest of the season. Ugh. Well, I mean, what, what's Eddie Lacy's prognosis? He, he's 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 is he eligible to come back before the seat regular season's done? He's got a couple more weeks left, right? Is is, but it doesn't seem overwhelmingly likely. Yeah. I just like hide the best of those four guys, so I think I kind of have to go with that. <sighs> it's really close. I the annoying thing about the whole debate here is just that. McCarthy is so wildly unpredictable. I, I mean, Dewan Harris right now is coming off what will likely be the best game of his career. Mm-hmm. New Orleans defense is bad. Hyde comes back. I, I like the way he's used it. He was the one player in the offense that I liked before he got hurt. At the same time, Ty Montgomery is really interesting because he catches a lot of passes. I think he looks good as a running back. Like, I, I feel like the Packers mm-hmm. need to keep pursuing that to the point where I'm not convinced that once Starks is back, that Montgomery's role as a runner completely dries up. Yeah, he might be right. I, I just I want to go with the guy that's going to get fifteen to twenty when he's healthy per game. You know, Montgomery could be a game flow type of guy. So I think I'd rather have Hyde as the guy that Niners only one of the guys the Niners trusts in this situation. All right, so let's move on to some players that we like on DraftKings for this week. We'll start at the quarterback position. Uh, one thing I was doing when I was building up lineups for FanDuel. Uh, on the SiriusXM show, and the the pricing on FanDuel allowed for uh, for me to build a team I liked that had Brady and Gronk stacked together. That proved to be a bit more challenging with the pricing constraints on DraftKings for this week. Yeah, I think so. I mean, um, I, I usually don't like to go big at tight end, and but I, obviously the, the gap between Gronk and most of the others is usually pretty big. Um, more so this week, I'd say, just because even there's a huge drop off after the top five, even so. Um, and quarterback, obviously, there's a little bit more of a, of a lean towards the top as well. I think it does kind of grading off a little bit more to less of a difference between the top guys. I mean, Brady's 7,400. Rogers, 7,600 is the most expensive quarterback. Matt Ryan, 7,300, the only other quarterback above uh, 7,000. I feel like you get a low ownership number on Breeze this week, even though the over-under, the fact they're favored, all the things that you would want in a typical Drew Breeze matchup are still there based on the Vegas numbers. People are going to see the first in red for the opponent rank next to the matchup, and they're going to probably back away. And I don't mm-hmm. think that's necessarily a good idea. I think in GPPs you want to use them. In cash, there are better ways to go. I mean, Cam's only 6,800. Roethlisberger's 6,800. Rivers is 6,700, but I think in GPPs, Drew Brees is on the radar. Yeah, I had Brees down, and for the exact reason you said that, that opponent rank, you know, we, we keep saying on the show, it doesn't always necessarily reflect current conditions, and obviously Tlaib being out, uh, you know, the Broncos, they do have some weaknesses if you can get at them right. Obviously, Oakland didn't do much of a job with that, um, but, you know, as you said, home games for Drew Brees, it's really hard to bet against them, even with a defense like that. I think they have so many options where he can adjust to that pass rush that I don't think Brees is going to be really affected that much. Now, finding a pairing with him in a GPP, that might be where you kind of have to do a little more digging with that. Maybe that's that's where we had to look at what we talked about before with Steed, Cooks, and Thomas. Yeah, that's that's the trick is which combination of pass catchers do you throw in there with Brees if you go with the full stack and – if if you want to look at quarterbacks you don't have to stack, I do feel like Breeze is near the top of that list. Breeze and Brady are the two where you kind of say, okay, well, if this is going to be a Martellus Bennett week or a Danny Amendola week, and I'm just not that confident in their volume, but I know they're going to have the they're going to be the guys that haul in the TDs. Then in that case, you know you have to look at Brady as a guy that you play even without any of the pass catchers. I think Breeze fits the similar bill in that he could spread the ball around pretty effectively. Fleener could get involved. He could dump it off to one of the running backs. I mean, there's there's always those extra wrinkles in play for the Saints when they're in the red zone. Yeah, I mean, I guess it really does depend on the wide receiver pricing. If you do want to stack or not stack, maybe, as you said, the, the overall success looks like it'll be there uh, for Breeze. I think he'll still get 
He'll still get 300 and at least two touchdowns, I think. I think it'll obviously it's a little bit more, more than that because, you know, sometimes you just have to trust good passing games against good, uh, you know, defenses, that, and this defense doesn't have a keep to leap. So it's definitely a case where Breeze can, you know, buck the trend of having that red first, you know, next to his matchup. We still have two teams uh, that are ranked they're tied for with four teams in total. They are tied for the worst pass defense in the league from a yards uh, per attempt allowed standpoint. The Saints at 8.3, Trevor Simeon gets the Saints, and the Bucks at 8.3 are the two that are in action this week. The Browns, of course, played last night. The Bills are on by. So it's Simeon and Jay Cutler. If you're trying to pick on the, the weakest pass defenses in the league based on efficiency, those are your options. Simeon's 5,600, and while I'd like the idea of picking on the Saints defense, I'd rather just pay up an extra 100 and get Marcus Mariota going up against the Packers in what's supposed to be one of the higher scoring games of the week. Yeah, I think so. And I think, like you said, with the fact pack, that the Packers are, you know, a little bit better against the run, Mariota is going to probably have to have a little bit more on his hands there. And yeah, I agree with you. I think I'd rather have Mariota uh, than Simeon for sure, just because you know that the Titans are probably going to have to throw a little bit more. And I have nightmares still about what Colin Kaepernick has done to the Packers <laughs> over the years. I think Mariota is a much more talented player than Kaepernick uh, was even at his peak. So he's capable of doing some pretty big things with his legs as well. Uh, mm-hmm. The likes of Rashard Matthews, Kendall Wright, Delaney Walker, I think they're good enough to wreak some havoc on the Green Bay secondary. So Mariota's the cheap quarterback uh, I keep gravitating toward uh, for this week. I feel like the price on Dak is also very low. 6100 certainly isn't bad. That game between the Cowboys and Steelers should be one of the higher scoring, closer matchups of the week too. So plenty of shootout potential. And Dak has been playing at an elevated level over the last three or four games. Yeah, I mean, his decision-making has been pretty uh, on point. Uh, you know, the Steelers' pass rush might be a little bit more for him than he's used to. Uh, obviously, he's a guy that has overcome that. Um, yeah, I mean, 6100 that, that, that's a pretty good scale pricing uh, for him. It, it, it puts him, what, as the, uh, the 10th quarterback. That's about actually his normal you know, fantasy value in season-long leagues, so it's, it's pretty accurate in that sense. I think the Colin Kaepernick bump up to 5800 might be a little bit too much too soon after that one. Um, Mariota than 12th is pretty good. Um, I, I think I do like Jay Cutler at 5,300, though. Uh, I mean, obviously, the road game may give you a little trouble, but you know that Tampa Bay defense is, is pretty shoddy uh, at this point. If I'm spending big, I do want to go Big Ben, though, because the Cowboys have two big defensive injuries in Morris Claiborne and Barry Church, and that secondary was basically the key to them holding quarterbacks down because their pass rush wasn't that good, so the coverage was, was huge, important for them. Those two being out, I think, is going to be very exploitable this week. Yeah, passer rating allowed by the Cowboys, 95. They, from a yardage standpoint, uh, come out as a, a good pass defense, but I think it's somewhat misleading, and, yep. and the injuries you mentioned are, are very important too, so uh, good call on that. I think I think the, the Roethlisberger-Brown uh, combo, for, mm-hmm. especially for cash, is good, but maybe you can get away with it in GPP uh, and come away with a pretty nice lineup. Let's move on to the running back position. David Johnson leading the charge at 8,400 with a matchup against a Navarro Bowman-less uh, San Francisco defense. The Cardinals are favored by almost two TDs in this game. And I know that to win by that, you kind of need David Johnson to be a very good, very productive player over the course of that game. The concern you have with a, a line that lopsided is that it may be a shorter day than usual for David Johnson in the Arizona backfield. Yeah, I mean, obviously, chalkiest of chalk, chalk, chalk. Um, but I also have Andre Ellington written down as a sleeper, obviously, at 3,500. Uh, so that's the case where, kind of like what you were thinking um, about how he might only play half the game if this game kind of goes out of hand here. Uh, and obviously you want to save a guy like David Johnson as much as you can. So 8,400, is that you know workload going to be that high? We don't know. And I think it's very much at a risk to, to be so heavily priced above running backs like that. Is that the highest a running back's been on DraftKings this year? It's got to be close, 8,400. <sighs> I don't track it closely <laughs> enough to say it with confidence, but it's weird to me that he's 500 more than Zeke Elliott and 700 more than Le'Veon Bell, especially when the Cowboys-Steelers game should be so much closer. But based on his output... He should be the most expensive back on the board. So I, I understand where it's coming from, especially with that matchup. But it leads me to just go right to Elliott and Bell as the better plays at the top of the running back list. Oh, absolutely. Like you said, it, I think that's going to be a duel, uh, that one. I mean, it depends on if I want to go with the, the, the Bell-Brown uh, stack. Do I also do Le'Veon Bell? I mean, that's a case where 
you know, that's that's where it actually could work out to have all three of those guys in that situation, just because the Cowboys just might be giving up a ton of points here. And obviously, Elliott, the Steelers have are the better statistical matchup for running backs. I, Elliott's, you know, the, the better play, I think, without having to really complicate your lineup as much, I think, because if you do want to play, uh, have a Roethlisberger and Brown in there. Go a little cheaper. You see Melvin Gordon at 7,100, Jay Ajayi at 7,000, Booker 7,000 against the Saints, uh, DeMarco Murray, Probably a low ownership rate for him this week. Home matchup, though, against the Packers in a game that's supposed to be close. And I know the Packers' run defense has been good. They also haven't been tested on a regular basis either. mm. They've had a pretty favorable schedule as far as weaker running games. And when they faced off against the Cowboys, Ezekiel Elliott, the Dallas front, ran all over them. So I just wonder, do you look at the Titans as a team that's built like a top three, top five sort of rushing attack and, and one that can run it against anybody? Because if that's the case... In GPPs, I think DeMarco Murray creeps onto the radar at that $6,900 price tag, despite the fact that the Packers have been efficient against opposing runners. Yeah, I've been going back and forth putting him in my lineups. Uh, you know, as we talked about before, Murray's touch, you know, level, his floor is probably one of the highest in football for running backs. Uh, I think he's gonna, I think he'll catch up, rack up more receptions than anything else at, at that point, because it, it probably is going to have to be a passing way that the Titans keep pace with the, with the Packers here. So, yeah, I think I, I, maybe he doesn't do as well on ground yardage, but he'll catch six or seven passes, and that automatically obviously bumps him in, in the full PPR of DraftKings format. So, yeah, Murray definitely. See, I'd rather have him than Devontae Booker at that price because Booker, having earned that price, that, that he doesn't have the workload to justify $7,000 in my opinion. On the other side of the Booker matchup, you go further down the price list, you see Mark Ingram at 5400 much better than Tim Hightower last week, even though Tim Hightower got more of the work. No indication from the Saints that anything's changing as far as that being a workload split. But in a game that the Saints need to win against a quality team, is Sean Payton really going to sabotage himself by running the plotting Tim Hightower 20-plus times, or does it go back to Ingram, and is it actually a spot where you know, Ingram is not only a good play value-wise at 5,400, but he's also going to be very low-owned because people fear Denver? Well, Ingram's obviously the better two-way back of the two, and I'm surprised that Hightower hasn't gotten more in the passing game. At least last week he didn't hit like 20-something carries. Obviously he got more workload because the game was out of hand. Ingram's a guy, like you said, you do want in there when the game's actually on the line. I think that that you know he kind of did enough last week to kind of get back in there. You know, sometimes temporary benches like that are just not going to last that long, and you want you want your best players in against those types of defenses. I think Ingram's a guy that you would want in there. He's obviously proved himself as a as a receiver last year, did a really big job there. So yeah, I would rather have Ingram than Hightower based on their price points. Yeah, I, I would too, and I, I just I don't think I just don't think Ingram's good. Maybe maybe a, so I don't think Hightower's good. I just think Ingram has to take over that backfield again, even though it's been uh, so so bizarre to this point that uh, Peyton has come out and made those statements about uh, Ingram not not really failing to protect the ball when he fumbled in that Seattle game, but still punishing him for it anyway. Like, it just doesn't really add up for me. Uh, Todd Gurley, priced at 5300 I The Jets are, are not a bad defense against the run, but... There has to be a three TD game coming from Todd Gurley at some point, and fifty three hundred is just a really tempting price. Yeah, and again, full PPR. Thank thank goodness he's been in the passing game involved. Uh, you know, the, the Jets do give up a lot through the air to running backs. That that's a really big deal. That's how that's how they get Gurley in space to you know counteract that great defensive line the Jets have. Uh, but even I think even Richardson's not even going to be there in that game. So that, that's a that's a positive I think. So yeah, I I, I think Gurley is is a good against the grain play because people look at the Jets and automatically still assume they're a good matchup for running. They're a, 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 a tough matchup for running backs, and that's not the case anymore. Let's uh, let's move on to the next part of the running back list. A couple names that stood out to me as I looked a little further down. Uh, Jonathan Stewart's only 4,900. He always seems like he's underpriced. That should be a pretty well-contested game between the Chiefs and the Panthers, so 4,900. Uh, pretty good value there. Uh, Capri Bibbs getting a lot of hype after the long TD Last week, Booker not playing all that well against Oakland at 4,000. Is he a tournament play? Is he a season-long dart? Is there anything at all there with Capri Bibbs, or is it just wishful thinking coming off that big play last week? Uh, I think a dart overall. Um, you know, the one big play, sure, he got free on, but, you know, I think Booker's the guy that will kind of carry the load, you know, this time, maybe not as much as, you know, the $7,000 pricing does, but I think Bibbs probably only going to get about 10 touches in that game, it seems like. Um 
But, you know, it's an exciting play in a distance space scoring league, at least for sure. And, you know, 4,000, I have him as kind of a flex play in, in, you know, GPP for DraftKings. So, yeah, it's definitely intriguing. I wouldn't go overly excited, but the price is pretty, pretty hard to pass up if you're looking for kind of the, that one last guy to fill out your lineup. Anything else uh, cheap at running back that's on, on your mind for this week? Players you're considering? We talked about Rob Kelly a bit earlier. Currently the starter in Washington. He's 3,600, but it's a tough matchup. Uh, against Minnesota, you mentioned Andre Ellington. He's thirty five hundred. If you want to get uh, really cheeky with the the Arizona blowout narrative, it certainly uh, it would be interesting. I mean, think about that. Andre Ellington was a player I think I paid twenty bucks for in an auction at the beginning of the twenty fifteen season, and he's just fallen a long way in the year and a half since then. But this is that rare spot where a player like that can be useful, getting eight, ten, maybe even twelve touches, depending on the game flow. Well, you know, he's not he's not that bad a player. We overrated him initially, but he's not that bad a player. You know, you know, last week's junk, you know, the rest of the rest of the season's junk always comes through and plays like this. Um Ellington's a good one to keep in mind. I like uh, Darren Sproles at 4300 against the Falcons. Obviously, that's a good defense to take advantage of. They've been weak against the run all year and Sproles is the only guy in Philadelphia that's really given them any security with the ball. He's actually getting carries now, which is kind of mind-blowing. Uh but the the one I'm really looking forward to sneaking in on Sunday night is Deion Lewis. Um Looks like he's going to be ready to play $3,000 minimum. Uh, it's pretty pretty enticing there to, to build another lineup around that. The tricky thing with Lewis is just how much James White can do uh, similar things and how much the Patriots really want to force Lewis back into that role. When they were both healthy last year, Lewis was the guy, so you'd assume that as long as he doesn't have any sort of setback between now and Sunday night, we will see Deion Lewis have uh, at least a, a handful of opportunities to touch the ball, if not more. Uh, in that matchup against Seattle. Looking at the wide receiver position, Julio is going to cost you 9500 this week. Mike Evans is 9000 going up against the Bears. Antonio Brown's 8900 And then you got a $1,300 price break between the third receiver in Brown and the fourth most expensive receiver in Larry Fitzgerald. Yeah, I, I do want to play both Brown and Evans, though. Uh, that That's a case where maybe you can load up up top at wide receiver with some value running backs there. But that is a that's a pretty steep drop. I guess for reason, just because the way the buys worked out this week, the kind of those those guys that would be under them are definitely uh, just kind of faded away there. Um, I look a little bit down further. I see DeAndre Hopkins. That intrigues me a little bit at 7,100 against the Jags. Yeah, stupid idiot Derek likes uh, Hopkins and Robinson as part of a <laughs> – Hey, the world's going to burn stack. So you just throw them both out there. They're playing each other. Uh, Houston and Jacksonville head-to-head this week, a matchup in America's division, as Nick Whalen likes to call it. And they're both underperforming first-round talents who are no longer carrying the price that you would associate with them. They're still priced up as top 10 wide receivers for this week, but they were top three, top four going back to draft season as far as how people would have been treating them. So... If it's going to happen, I mean, why not this week? Oh, absolutely. Uh, sometimes you, it's funny to stack opponents like that against each other. It should be either it's going to be either like a really high scoring game or just the ugliest game you can imagine. It's I don't think it's going to be anywhere in between those two. I imagine we're going to see a fair amount of Manuel Sanders and Demarius Thomas ownership at sixty eight and uh, sixty seven hundred, respectively. Similar price range. Elshon Jeffrey against the Bucks at sixty six hundred. He's the player I think I like the most. If you said Hopkins, Robinson, or Jeffrey, you have to choose one between 6,600 and 7,100. Because he's a little cheaper and because we finally saw him get off the schneid going up against Minnesota before the bye week, I think this is a nice setup for Jeffrey. I think we might see a top 10 receiver down the stretch, and it, it can really start taking off again this week. I agree. And it's too late to buy low in season-long leagues. I think the, the, the jig is up on that one. The window closed pretty quickly. Uh, cheaper options at wide receiver, going past a lot of the $6,000 guys. I mean, Jordan Matthews at 5900 certainly uh, on my radar. But Willie Sneed at 5300 This feel like he's the Saints receiver that I trust the most this week. Maybe 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 Cooks is kind of matchup proof because he's smaller and faster, and those receivers don't get uh, pushed around quite as much by physical corners. Mostly because the physical corners can't grab them; they just can't mm-hmm. have a chance to. But if mm-hmm. there's a, a a middle of the road GPP dart at wide receiver for me, Willie Sneed is that guy. Yeah, I, th- I think I would definitely fade Thomas in favor of Sneed just because of that Denver uh, secondary that we talked about before. So, uh, yeah, Cooks or Sneed, I think it would, it would be between one of those two if I were to pick a Saints receiver depending on how the rest of my lineup looks. Two at 4,200 to think about. Richard Matthews, I believe he scored last week uh, twice against San Diego. 
and J.J. Nelson, who apparently is the number two receiver in Arizona, 4,200 seems like a bargain for both of those receivers. Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, that, that's just the timing of the prices just kind of, you know, didn't really increase for them. Um, I also like Kenny Britt at 4,900 uh, against the Jets. You know, it's always a good GPP play with Kenny Britt because, you know, always kind of happens to break one. And, uh, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll close my suggestions with Inman at 3,400 that we talked about before. Don Inman for the Chargers. Yeah, Inman so. is definitely on the radar at that price. Good flex option if you want to go with a fourth receiver in the flex and have spent up at the other positions. Uh, going to tight end. To fade or play Gronk is a question I would say every single week, and I think this is a week where you actually want to play him because you're getting what I would expect to be a lower ownership rate. Sixty nine hundred, he's seven hundred more expensive than Jordan Reed. He's a thousand more expensive than Greg Olson. If you don't want to pay up for Gronk, for me the next viable option is actually Kelsey at fifty six hundred. I'm passing over Reed again because Minnesota's defense, even though the team is disappointing me overall, it's more on the offensive side of the ball. Minnesota's defense seems capable of playing those ugly, low-scoring games and, and really just kind of taking a player like Reed away if they want to. Yeah, obviously, you know, Kirk Cousins' games can can be like that ugly for sure. I, I agree with you. I'm not the biggest Reed fan this week at all. Um, I, I think Kelsey, it, it is justifiable to play him just because that Carolina secondary has been awful, obviously. Macklin being out is going to, you know, let him be a little bit more, um, you know, favored by Alex Smith. But, you know, I think he's able to overcome Carolina double teaming him because that's just not a really good secondary with, with a lot of technique to them. The cheap tight end that I, I was excited about this week is Zach Ertz. 3700 is the price on Ertz. I, I think he's a viable option. I think if you want to uh, combine like Mariota and Delaney Walker, there's a case to be made for that. Walker at 4600 He burned me a few weeks ago. When I recommended him, but nine targets, five catches, 42 yards, and a TD last week uh, against the Chargers. I mean, he gets eight to ten targets against the Packers secondary. I think he can do even better than he did last week against the Chargers. Yeah, I agree with those. Um, I'll offer up Zach Miller against the Bucks at 3,600 as well. Uh, maybe that's a really, really ballsy uh, Cutler, Alshon Jeffrey, Zach Miller stack you can do to oh. really separate yourself from the field. The three man oh, bear stack. Oh, my God. <laughs> If, really, really, if, you get, if you have a lot of Belgian quads in you, you might be able to make that one and yeah. feel good about yourself. Yeah, if you, you go out tonight and have a few quads and come back and make a lineup, that that drunken bear stack might be uh, the way to do it. Uh, defensively, is it worth just paying up for one of the top options? For me, the Cardinals at 3,700 against San Francisco, especially with Arizona being at home. I think that could make a lot of sense for this week. Absolutely. Um uh, Cardinals for sure for me. Uh, my punt play is the, is the Jaguars against the Brock Osweiler. Yes, um, hoping something comes out of that. The Fighting Osweilers. Mm-hmm. Twenty three hundred is the price if you decide to go with the Jags, and uh, they are at home too. When when you punt a defense like that, I always like to get a team that's actually playing at home because that extra little mm-hmm. bit can make a big difference. So I, I'm I'm with you. Uh, the Millionaire Maker this week, by the way, it's a strange event. It's a four hundred and forty dollar entry fee. Four forty-four, actually. Yeah, yeah. Four hundred and forty-four dollar entry fee, uh, and then it's uh, twelve thousand five hundred and twelve entries. I needless to say, I will not be entering at four hundred and forty-four dollars <laughs> per entry. What your your roto wire salaries? You're not just making it rain and just saying, "Oh yeah, sure, I'll, I'll have a couple entries in there." Uh, you know, I I my my money's in the pantry in bottle form. <laughs> that's that's where it's at. It's it's not. Uh, they're, they're not taking. They're not taking the beers in my pantry in exchange for entries, so that's not gonna mm. that's not gonna happen. Uh, Tim, before we we sign off, we, we started with beer. We're gonna close with beer. What are you What are you going out to get this weekend? Oh, I don't know. I think I think talking to you about Arizona and you know all my California friends I would always see out there, and obviously I would even bring California beers to this. So I might have to go target some San Diego breweries, maybe like maybe a Green Flash or you know as 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 Eno introduced me to last year modern times which is amazing brewery if, if you guys out there haven't had it it's just uh really really clean stuff and uh I, I might just have to go a little nostalgia tour you know some member berry south park style of you know what we once loved so yeah probably <laughs> california beer nice california beer always a good way to go i've got a couple of wisconsin beers that i haven't had yet uh one is called idiot farm it's a double ipa from carbon four right here in madison mm-hmm. Probably going to bust one of those open. And then uh, Velveteen Habit was brought back by Ale Asylum, another Madison brewery. I've got a sixer of that sitting around. I'm probably going to throw that in the fridge and, and drink that at some point this weekend. Not the whole six-pack. I mean, I'll, I'll share it or I'll have a couple. But I'm just – I'm trying to diversify, you know, where, where my drinking currency goes. 
Yeah, no, you, you gotta you know ration this stuff. You can't just you know blow through a six pack on your own. You got you got to share the love. It's part of the community. Yes. Oh. Also, <laughs> yes, it, it, it's it's but no, it, I I I have as, almost as much fun like sharing a beer with somebody as I do like drinking it myself. I actually probably enjoy more when I find something. I'm like, hey, try this, and they really like it. Like that. That almost means more to me than finding a beer that I enjoy on my own. So it, it's it's the yeah. social aspect. It's like I, I I think I look at beer now as the way the same way I looked at baseball cards when I was a kid. Mm, yes, uh, definitely. You know the, the adult form of that for sure. You, it's all about you know getting the the, the the reactions from people. If you have something or if they like something, like you said, and you know trading. You know it's always good to keep in touch with people too. Just you know just to kind of always have something to go back to. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Definitely good times with that, you know. So definitely going to need that more as you get to be an adult as well. So it definitely helps. All right. Well, that's going to wrap things up for this episode of the Rotowire Fantasy Football Podcast. If you like this podcast, please take a moment to leave us a review on iTunes or Stitcher, whatever platform you're listening on. We would greatly appreciate that. Uh, Tim, good luck this week with your matchups, both season long and, of course, DFS for Week 10. Uh, we got Nick and I coming back with you on Monday. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.